Welcome back to Confusion Confusions. We are Gracia and Ashley. On this episode, we'll be talking about consumerism and climate change, New York Fashion Week, the Chinese Cultural Revolution, media-driven made-in-China labels, and food symbolism. So stay tuned if you want to find out how all of this relates to Chinese New Year. So personally, I've been looking into Chinese New Year and I realised that like, Chinese New Year is celebrated in many different countries, including Taiwan, uh, Hong Kong, China, Singapore, mm-hmm. Malaysia. Yeah. Yeah. And I realised that one thing that tied a lot of Chinese people together because there are many like different festivities and I'll say like cultural practices and events that differ across the different regions. But then one thing that ties a lot of Chinese people together is actually ironically like the consumerism behind Chinese New Year, mm. which is quite sad. Okay, but it's like the materialistic aspect of Chinese New Year. I d- it's not um, like a super bad thing. Okay, it's bad, but like. Mm. Mm. I realized it's I realized this because I was I found out that in China, right, um watching movies is actually a very common like practice that many families do, like many families have. Um simply because like number one, it's something that everyone can everyone in the family can enjoy, like whether you're old or young. Watching a movie is something that's suitable for mm. everyone. And Another thing is also because during Lunar New Year, many of the shops and like I would say, like even like the parks and everything are closed, with the exception of movie theaters. So, even though the tickets can be expensive, right? Many families are willing to spend the money yeah. in order to watch movies together. And I realized this was indicative of how the consumerism and like the familial values associated with with Chinese New Year are kind of intertwined. Like, it's possible to... It's possible that um, both the consumerist aspect of Chinese New Year and and the familial values aspect of it can mm-hmm. come together without erasing one another. Because it's often viewed as, like, um, separate, yeah. yeah. And so during Chinese New Year in China, actually a lot of popular films are released during that period. And the box office earned 5.7 billion yuan during the seven-day holiday oh. in 2017. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so actually, um, I think because the holiday is very long and yeah, so there's like nothing to do. So a lot of families would go out to watch movies. And it's also, I guess it's important to bear in mind that the consumerism behind Chinese New Year, it's also like entrenched in history as well. Like, with prevailing economic structures from the past, um, consumerism has been, it's like, it's almost part of the traditional custom of Chinese New Year. And it, because the festivities actually evolved in an agrarian society where there were frequent food shortages and many Chinese would wait for like rations of meat mm. and cooking oil and everything that would be released during the holidays even during the Mao era. So I think it's imp- it's interesting for me that how like both past and current economic models compel, compel consumers to spend during Chinese mm. New Year. Yeah. I think like, another thing Yeah, I think mm, like you, um 
a good thing about the consumerism that happens during like the Chinese New Year or like the Spring Festival is that mm. um okay other than this year like it also creates a lot of jobs like around the world mm. and like because China is like one of the most populous countries in the world and like China- Lunar New Year becomes like one of the planet's greatest migration periods. So people like will travel mm. back home to visit their families and this also like creates a lot of like opportunities for, for people and like I guess especially in like even like e-commerce or like this year especially or like in real life sales like there are a lot of part-time jobs that open up just for Chinese New Year. Yeah, I was just about to talk about the e-commerce mm. aspect. Like, especially recently, I realized how, like, developed the e-commerce industry is mm. in China. Like, they have, like, a lot of live streams are popular in China where you can even, like, buy items that the live streamers introduce mm. in your life. So, on, like, Alibaba and everything. Yeah, and there's also quite a bit of focus on luxury products. Mm. Even like luxury food, like king crabs, that kind of thing. Oh. Yeah. So the plethora of internet technology has actually like exacerbated the consumerism mm. during the holiday. Mm. And then um specifically in Singapore, I was also like contemplating about how the how the customs related to Chinese New Year have influenced our spending mm. habits. Like um the like the tradition of wearing new clothes like my sing e on on Chinese yeah. New Year yeah it's it affects I think it's like it's not only the act of buying the new clothes but it's also everything that comes along with the new clothes like mm-hmm. hairdos manicures and even the food it's like the importance we place on Chinese New Year has led to us um, I would say like anticipating the festive indulgence that comes with yeah. it. I think for sure, like, Chinese New Year has also, like, ironically become a source of hedonism. So, like, yes, there are, like, values and traditions tied to buying these new clothes, but it's also become very, like, superficial and, like, a reason, I guess, to, like, flaunt, like, your wealth. And, like, we can Mm. see this a lot as people, like, post it on their social media and, like, I feel like Lunar New Year is probably the day where people post the most like throughout the entire year mm. yeah I think in the backdrop of like our current era mm. right where climate change like the awareness about climate change is increasing how do you think that pertains to like how do you think it has affected how do you think our awareness of climate change has affected our Chinese New Year spending habits mm. I think like even though there is like greater awareness and everything but I feel like it's not really translated. At least, like, mm. based on what I see, I feel like people mm. don't really take it into account during this period. And they just use, like, the New Year as an excuse to, like, um, continue, I guess, continue increasing, like, consumerism and, like, spending on, like, fast fashion and things like that. Mm, that's interesting that you said, like, the taking into account not taking into account yeah yeah what about you though like what do you feel like how does climate change affect Mm. our spending 
I think. Um, I think personally, mm. right? Chinese New Year is definitely a time where, like, uh, where excess, where excess is celebrated, mm-hmm. but then. I don't know if it's like just within my own circles, mm. but or like my friend groups or what. But like, I also see like increasingly more people taking up thrifting mm. and everything, which is like, I I think it's it's. Um, mm, I I'll say it's like quite, it's good, but like I don't know if it's like a big enough step for us with, because like. During Chinese New Year, there's still definitely a lot of overconsumption mm. and waste that's produced. Yeah, so thrifting like it extends the life cycle of old products and gives the earth a chance to renew itself. That kind of thing. Mm. I think like thrifting, yeah. like it's happening, but I feel like it's also happening not fast enough, especially for Singapore where there isn't much of a thrifting culture, and there's only like a very specific group that will still. Will like go to thrift shops and buy things, and it's probably mm. people like, um, I mean, if I really had to categorize it, it would be probably people like within our age range. I feel like mm. there's still like, uh, not really taboo, but there's still like stigma surrounding thrifting because people think like, it's used clothing and like, why would they pay the same amount for something that's used when they can get it new. Mm. I think for me it's like I I definitely agree like especially the older generation it's because in like Chinese culture we equate Mm. like material access with success Mm. and and this is evident during Chinese New Year especially like you know when your relatives ask you like I don't know like like what what, like they ask you what kind of brand of clothes you're wearing or like what you what kind of like I don't know like material access in terms of like your job Mm-mm. prosperity yeah. and everything yeah it's equated with success all the mm-hmm. time so yeah and it's like almost auspicious to it's like auspicious to buy new clothes right so yeah mm. but how do you think like this is this like seen overseas like how do you think consumerism like and Chinese New Year how do you think like it takes place in, in places outside of Singapore? I think it, the thrifting culture might be even lesser in other countries like China. Oh, really? Yeah, like... I, there's, like, just not a developed industry for it or, like, an awareness about it. Mm. Yeah. Maybe... I think it would be... It's also easier... It's much easier to spread awareness about climate change and drifting the act of drifting is easier in Singapore because we are smaller mm, but I also feel like it's a lot to do with how drifting is always a small business and it's run by mm. like small like maybe it's a small little Instagram shop that's owned by a person or it's a small yeah. little like I guess hipster store in like a small little street I feel like compared to those multinational corporations like how I feel like all of the world's greatest brand names like are owned by a few companies and Mm. like when you think of designer goods they're all they all have different like separate names like for example like Chanel and Dior and 
Louis Vuitton, but they're all owned by like the same few companies. So it, mm, yeah, so it only increases their monopoly over the market, I guess. Mm. Yeah, I think also because like poverty is quite is still rife in China, mm. because Singapore is definitely like a more developed country, yeah. so maybe there's like a bigger stigma surrounding thrifted clothes in China now. Mm. Yeah, I would say. I think this also links to, like in China, right? Um, actually, the New York Fashion Week, twenty twenty one, which is this mm. year, right? It clashed with the Lunar New Year this year. And it was actually like, if I'm not wrong, I think it's like um, intended to, to clash. Mm. So, because the fashion industry is like putting China first. Mm. Especially during like, now there's like COVID happening, mm-hmm. right? Um, but then like China, Chinese economic recovery is surging ahead of like the western countries Mm, which also means that yeah so it means that designers they are reliant on Chinese consumers to spend on luxury products like for example like uh, Ralph Lauren Calvin Klein and everything Mm. and then mm, actually in 2019 Chinese consumers accounted for 35% of luxury shopping luxury spending Compared to US, which generated 22%. I think I was surprised by that. Because I didn't expect Chinese consumers to spend much more than European and US consumers. Mm. When it comes when it came to like luxury products. Yeah. I think especially because a lot of these luxury products are also like created, like based in European countries. Yeah. So many of the um brands they are they they are focusing on like Chinese New Year, like the theme of Chinese New mm. Year, to produce, to produce labels and like designs that focus on like the year of the ox. Mm. Yeah, for example, like Balenciaga, they had a little ox handbag, featuring the 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 Chinese character for ox next to the name next to its name. Mm. Yeah, I think it's like crazy luxury spending within China is also, um. I think, okay, this is a personal thesis, I guess, but I feel like it's a result, yeah, sure. like, of oppression during the Cultural Revolution. Because back then, China was really closed off, and there wasn't a lot of, like, consumption. There wasn't a lot of luxury consumption, mm-hmm. and there wasn't a lot of just, like, shopping in general. And frugality was actually promoted as, like, a communist ideal. So after they broke past the Cultural Revolution and like China opened up to the rest of the world, I feel like it's only they've only become more willing to spend because it's something that they didn't have last time. Mm. What do you think? Yeah, I certainly see that. I think like that also relates to like the consumerism thing. Like that we we talked mm. about earlier, right? About how like the past economic models cause cause consumerism to be ingrained in Chinese New Year itself. Mm. Yeah. Actually, I I read up on like a case study recently, and I felt that it was mm. quite ironic. I would say, cause I feel like even though the economy 
like yes it's open now and yes it's I guess international but I feel like a lot of the time it's still like greatly controlled by the Chinese government and like basically um so you know Jack Ma like the guy who owns Alibaba he's like one of the most like influential billionaires in China and recently he co-founded this company called N Group Co and it's this like um service where they kind of lend money but the reason why it's doing so well in China is because there's a super low barrier of entry so when you borrow money from banks you kind of need to have a source of credibility but this company doesn't need that and they just have a very high interest rate so they earn but they do not require you to have any like source of credibility yeah so mm. So it's like similar to microfinance, but with high interest rates. I guess. Um, mm. But yeah, it's, this like company was super popular in China, and the listing value was more than three hundred billion. And it's quite interesting because mm. it's a pretty new company, and it rose super duper fast. But like back to how the government like monopolizes the economy, I feel like. Um, he, I, even though like the guy Jack Ma right like this is his co-founded company but because it's doing so well and it has such um influence on the Chinese economy um, he also the government has also tried to like crack down on it um, recently in November mm-hmm. and They've like started like regulatory checks, and they've also closed down his other. Um, I'm not sure if it's closed down like temporarily or not, but his other business like Xiaomi, which is like a music streaming service, which is similar to like Spotify. And oh, yeah, Xiaomi. Yeah. About that, yeah. So like, he's one of like he's also one of the loudest, like, and most flam- flamboyant like billionaires because he's like the richest man in China so because of that he recently became super quiet because of all of this government control and I think all of mm. this seems super like paradoxical to me because at the end of the day like the economy and spending like no matter how much money you have and no matter how like high you are in terms of power you're still in a sense controlled by the government Mm. Why do you think the government wanted to crack down on it? Like, did it have an agenda or something? I feel like it's because... um. Okay, so... I've, I forgot the numbers exactly, but I know that such a big portion of the Chinese population is using his, like, money loaning service that he basically has control over the movement of the economy and I feel like the government didn't want like a single person to have access to that power yeah mm. okay that makes mm. sense yeah so they wanted to like reduce his power like economically yeah. mm. okay I think the the whole like government control everything also links to another thing mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about which is like 
the made in China yeah. label. Because I was like analyzing like my own attitude towards the label like mm-hmm. made in China. Like as I but it's like when I consume products and then I see the label made mm-hmm. in China. I immediately have like I don't know, my immediate reaction is that it's like low quality or like low cost and like mm. it's that like, I wouldn't want to buy okay. it, you know. Yeah. Like especially when it comes mm-hmm. to food. And and I realized that like this is caused by like the media the media's coverage of Chinese oh, products. Okay. Like I realized that I thought like when I thought deeper about it, I realized that my own opinions about made in China labels, mm-hmm. right, was very influ- like directly influenced by me reading news reports about like uh, I don't know if you, if you know like the like there was one news report about baby milk. Oh like, yeah. Baby milk powder. I, I, yeah. I've seen that. Yeah. And it, it's like contaminated and then it caused like a lot of babies mm-hmm. to die or something. So it's like food contamination. Mm-hmm. So that kind of like concerns about about product safety and human rights issues they are centered in the media and I think this happened like quite a few years ago but it really has shaped my own attitude towards that label mm. made in China and then the Chinese government has actually tried many different tactics to in, including like advertisements in the Times Squares in the Times Square in like USA right to change public mm. opinion about Chinese products yeah so I was like quite intrigued that chi- like like the power the kind of power that that the Chinese government tries to build through media as mm. well yeah like the advertisement and public relations campaigns but it hasn't been very successful I guess like considering that I personally still have negative views and I think a lot of people still have negative views towards Chinese products mm. but I feel like it's yeah. quite like, unfortunate, because there's such a large quantity of products that's, like, produced in China. I feel like there's no possible way that everything is, like, perfect, I guess. I feel like it's it's Mm. inevitable that there'll be things that, like, accidents or, like, contamination. But I feel like it Mm. clouds the perception of the entire like country yeah consumer consumer mm. yeah I think like the stereotype where like Chinese products are synonymous with low cost mm. low quality it's it, it didn't always exist like in the past like I, I would I would think that people viewed Chinese products as being like high quality like they're the tea the furniture, the dishware, like the cultural value that come came with it. Especially like, you know, the mm. silk road. Like a lot of people would like bring products towards China and from oh, China. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, so I, I realised that it hasn't always existed and I was examining like my own mm. opinion of it. Yeah. And then, actually in, I, I read up and I found that several Chinese manufacturers, right, they have tried to change the made-in-China label on their products, the made-in-the-PRC. Oh. I haven't. Yeah. Mm. And it was... Yeah, even though the change is minor, right, it was pretty effective. I haven't seen that label before, though. Have you? Mm. 
I also haven't, but I I I realized, I, I read up about it and I found out that they were, they did it in India specifically last year because of like the anti Chinese sentiments. Because I think there was like a dispute in mm-hmm. Bangladesh or China or India mm. with China, yeah. So they put like made in the PRC. Because PRC is the name for mm. People's Republic of China, it's like the official name. Mm. And then I'm wondering, like, when the Made in China label, because, like, as the economy develops and evolves, right, China, China Chinese products are evolving as well. And, like, um, I'm wondering, like, when it, the Made in China label will, re- will come to represent not just, not cheap labor, but, like, products with mm. good design quality. and like. I wonder yeah. if it's also because of, like, the cultural revolution that we discussed previously. Like, whether whether that period of, like, closing off Mm. from the rest of the world, like, connected China to this idea of secrecy and having, like, a hidden, like, something to hide, I guess, which makes people, like, Mm. also doubt Mm. the things they they produce. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Okay, so, moving on from that, I feel like Chinese New Year is also a time where there's definitely a lot of food that we eat. So, what have you been eating this year during Chinese New Year? I think I've eaten a lot. Like my, like especially mm. like my my mom made like biscuits and my grandmother made oh. this thing called like honeycomb biscuits. Yeah. I don't know if you heard of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's like in the shape of a honeycomb, and I realized that it's. I thought it, I always thought it was a Chinese snack, but I realized that it's not only Chinese. Mm. It's it's more of like in Southeast Asia. Yeah. So I realized that actually in Singapore a lot of the Chinese food that mm. we consume, right? We don't know where it comes from also. And like actually the honeycomb biscuit has Southeast mm. Asian hurry. But origins. what about like how I feel like a lot of Singaporean food is tied to our Singaporean identity that we have. But mm. when this all like when a lot of these food come from other countries and they're also seen in other places like Malaysia like countries nearby do you think it Mm. like kind of erodes a bit of our pride yeah dilutes right Mm. I was thinking about this and I think like mm, like I feel like the the fact that we have so many Mm. we have food from so many different countries right I feel like that's part of the Singaporean identity. Like, we don't need to take ownership of the food. Like, it doesn't have mm. to be only Singaporean, you know. Like, accounting for the fact that, like, this food came from Malaysia and then, like, travelled to Malaysia and then Singapore, right? It's part of, like, the journey that a lot of Singaporeans, mm. like, our ancestors have taken. It's, like, the... Like, our ties mm, to those other countries. I think, well. like, it's also... L- I think I agree with what you said, and I feel like it also heightens our pride in a sense, cause like learning about all of these like mm. food, and when you're ordering a lot of the food in like hawker centers and stuff like that, you could speak in a different language. Like for example, like nasi lemak is Malay, but in Singlish you don't need to have mm. a base of Malay to know these words, and I feel like that's, like, really unique. Because mm-hmm. Singlish is a language which gives you, like, a quasi-fluency. 
without actually being fluent. It's like mm. what what what's quasi um, fluency? How like knowing words from different languages without knowing the languages itself. Mm. I think also like mm, you were mentioning like we have mm-hmm. we eat a lot of food from different countries, right? I was I realized that there's one f- food in particular that we use du- we do during mm-hmm. Chinese New Year, we eat we eat during Chinese New mm. Year that's quite unique to Singapore. Oh. It's like low hay. Yeah, like I realized that it's not it's not something you think about mm. like consciously, but you realize that Chinese people in China, Taiwan, Hong Kong, they don't necessarily oh. like eat low hay and practice the tradition of like like Lao Yu Sheng, the 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 tradition of like Oh, I never and, like, throwing and like, like, I always knew I always thought that special. it was something that people did everywhere. Cause yeah, it's not. Oh, that's cool. Mm. Yeah. So, like. Mm. It's like, I think Chinese New Year, for me, right, like, yeah. like Lao Yishun is such an integral aspect of Chinese New Year. So I realised, like, we actually make the mm. festival our own, so. And it's not, like, Lo, Lo He is not only, like, a food, right? It's also, like, an activity that the entire family yeah. can take part in. It's also, like, a shared memory and, like, yeah. something you and do I think, every like, year is, when like, you say, yeah. like, say all of the good things when you're, like, lifting the food up it kind of actualizes these, like, blessings mm. and makes it feel real, I think. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I like yeah. that it's something that everyone can, like, participate in together. Mm. Mm. Okay, so what what else do you eat during reunion dinner? I I, re- I recently found out the name for oh. peng, peng Cai. I, I didn't even know mm. that Peng Cai, but I eat that. And... I also eat food from like, I eat mm. like satay, sushi. Yeah, mm. I eat food from like, not just Chinese food. Pizza, that kind of thing. I think yeah. like every year, like my, my grandma would prepare like food and I feel like um, I never really knew the meaning of this food until like a few years ago. And like all of these foods have like different like significance to it. Like the fish itself symbolizes like good fortune and like the word nian nian yu means like everywhere like every year is bountiful I think and stuff like that yeah mm. and also like the peng cai with a lot of different like elements mm. I don't know if like yeah, I think is it I think Chinese so. actually is it Singaporean I'm not... it's not right Mm. Oh. oh, it's Cantonese. Yeah, a lot of the food that I also eat, I never separate into like which part of China is from. Mm. Like, but I realize now that like Cantonese food is like mm. some peng cai that kind of thing, right? Whereas like um personally my own heritage is like I have Cantonese heritage and mm. uh Fujian heritage like so Hokkien. Then Hokkien food is more like. It's like brown oh. in colour, I think. A lot of Hokkien food. Yeah. Like, like you? Like what, what's my family food? is mostly Cantonese. Like, the food we eat is Cantonese and things like that. But, mm. um, mm. I actually found out recently that I'm not Cantonese. Like, I don't know how... 
I don't know how to explain it, but um, I'm actually like Hainanese, but like my grandfather's Hainanese, mm. and like it's by, like, yeah, by the paternal side. So paternal that makes me ha- Hainanese. But mm. because like my grandma is from, yeah, um, it's like Cantonese, so that's how. So um, and my grandpa also speaks Cantonese. So when they got married, a lot of mm. the tradition became Cantonese. So I always thought I was Cantonese, but turns out I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So you never ate, you never grew up eating Hainanese? Yeah, and nobody like, in my family oh, really speaks Hainanese. Which is, yeah. Mm. Okay, we've come to the end of our episode for today. As usual, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and any other major podcast streaming platforms. Thank you. See you next week.